Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Today's guest on Theology Applied is Pastor Jeff Durbin with Apologia Church and Apologia Studios. We talk about abortion. We talk about the distinction between the abolition of abortion and incrementalism. We talk about the need for equal weights and measures. We talk about the need, God's demands, for equal protection under the law. Uh, We talk about children being hated by our society at large. We talk about the pro-life industry and how they want to continue abortion. They, They want to appear as though they are seeking to end abortion, but they don't really want it to end. It's their livelihood. It's an industry. And these are the kinds of things that we talk about in this episode. And I think you're in for a real treat as we seek to apply God's law word to one of the most serious issues in our day. Applying God's word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries, and today I'm very privileged to have as a special guest, Pastor Jeff Durbin of Apologia Church and Apologia Ministries uh, in Arizona. He is also... Um, a guy who it's really kind of unfair because uh, Dr. James White has joined them in the last couple <laughs> years. And so he's building an all-star team there in Arizona, trying to combat the other all-star team that we have in Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> so they're not combating, they're friends. So all that being said, right. we want to talk about abortion. And uh, that is one of the few issues, uh, that and baptism is one of the few issues that uh, Pastor Jeff Durbin and Pastor Doug Wilson or Pastor Toby Sumter would disagree on. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and hand it to you, Jeff, and then I'll, I'll share a little bit more of my personal testimony on this particular subject later on. What would you like me to say? <laughs> well, go ahead and uh, let's just get right into it with a yeah. video that you dropped today. So we're probably yes. going to drop this video. It'll be a little bit, uh, uh, probably about a week. So for our okay. listeners, if you're tuning in right now, this is something that uh, Apologia Studios dropped um, on, on what, what's the date today? It's the 5th? You're asking the wrong guy. I never know what it month is. It is the 5th. So it's April <laughs> 5th. Right. So we're recording right now, Tuesday, April 5th. And uh, Jeff just did a video this morning uh, that was absolutely horrendous, showing pictures of dead babies in buckets. Jeff, you want to yeah. share some of that? <clears throat> so so we got word. I was actually, we pre-recorded it um, uh, the night before we dropped it. I was actually on my way out the door. Um to get home to family. And I got word that um, a friend of ours and uh, somebody who has been trained by an abortion now and has saved uh, children at abortion mills um, in California, a friend of ours uh, was connected in some way to the five dead babies uh, that were discovered in Washington, D.C. Now, if you watch the media reports yesterday and everything leading up to yesterday about the situation, they told the story like, um, uh, the police responded sort of a thing to a call and uh, they found a woman with uh, five dead babies in her freezer. <clears throat> right. um, now, the interesting thing is the pictures of these uh, murdered children um, had already been uh, passed around across social media platforms. And I just want to say they are 
absolutely gruesome and horrendous. So hard to look at. And um, <clears throat> but no one really knew a lot of details as to what was going on with this. Uh, we learned that a ton of pro-life uh, talking heads and other organizations are trying to essentially uh, break the story, the real story behind it and, and, and get into this thing. And so AJ <clears throat> turns out actually knew the people who um, uh, were able to collect the dead bodies of these babies. And uh, he went immediately from New York where he was to DC where they were. And so as you see the videos, we play some of the videos on the Apologia um, episode. Uh, we play, we show the pictures and some videos. It's his hands in uh, some of the photos and, and videos. So he was there uh, when they uh, unpack these boxes and began to pull these dead bodies out. So the, the, the main thing that most people didn't hear about uh, or didn't know about was that it wasn't five dead babies. It was actually 115 dead babies, mm. 115 dead babies. And uh, there's a story in terms of how they got uh, access to these, uh, these, ch these slaughtered children. Uh, the story goes, basically, there was one of the um, stericycle type companies and trucks that goes and collects the remains of these children and then, you know, incinerates them or, or, or gets rid of the uh, medical waste. And so the story from their perspective is that the truck showed up they walked up to the truck and they essentially said do you know what's in those boxes the guy claimed to not know when they said that it was dead children in the boxes uh, he seemed to be shocked by it uh, their version of events is that um, they said can we please have these boxes so we can give these children a proper burial and he said well i've already scanned them in but i'm not looking and so that's how they got access to these these uh, boxes. And so 115 dead children. Uh, the highlight for them was five because it appears that five of them uh, were killed um, very late in the pregnancy. Um, in terms of the foundational moral issue involved, that's not that's not a big point for Christians. Uh, you are human from conception. God is the unique author of life. He is the creator. And so he knits us together in a mother's womb. So whether you are killed on day one or day, you know, the ninth month of pregnancy, it's still the image of God is still a human being. However, the highlight for them was that here's five babies clearly later on in the pregnancy in the term uh, of pregnancy, but also there was evidence with uh, at least a few of these babies that they had been killed killed uh, post-birth. Mm -hmm. And so for them and where they're aiming at, that is still against federal law uh, from their perspective. And so they, they wanted these uh, babies to receive autopsies. So the story from their perspective is that uh, this wasn't something where the DC police showed up and found a woman with five dead babies in her freezer. She had actually contacted her legal team. Again, this is, this is their side of the story. And uh, it took DC police 24 hours to respond. She wanted to deliver them to the DC police. So it was her that announced it to the DC police mm. and was trying to get them to come and respond. Uh, they were demanding autopsies. So um, AJ ended up um, getting to DC. He's in those videos and uh, they gave uh, 110 of the babies uh, proper uh, Christian burial. And um, so that's, that's the situation uh, on the episode. And I think Joel, this is probably one of the main things that I that I would want to emphasize from my perspective right now is number one, watch it. Uh, it's on Apologia Studios. There's big warnings attached to it. Do not watch it around children. It is horrendous. Uh, I think you need to see it to be provoked uh, into <clears throat> into gospel action as a Christian. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll speak frankly here, and I don't want to be derogatory towards Christ's bride. Um, you know. <sighs> We put up a video that 
shows everybody vividly what is actually taking place every single day in our country. So it's not so much for me that, oh my goodness, look, there's dead babies. That's happening every single day, upwards of 3,000 times a day. That's not a shocker. Um, what we wanted to do is say, look, look what's, look what's happening. This is what we're hiding from. This is what we won't take seriously enough. Look at this baby with a crushed skull. Look at this, this baby who is clearly suffocated. Look at these babies who are destroyed. Um, we, I wanted to show that to say, let's peel our eyelids back, please, and pay close attention to what's actually taking place. Here are the examples. Look at it. And so there's actual video footage, not just a still photo, but video footage of them manipulating these dead babies and showing you their faces and arms and fingers and everything else. And it's shocking. It's horrifying. It's painful. It's heartbreaking. It's I, I, I told you, Joel, I didn't recover from from that. I think we did that at like five o'clock yesterday evening. I didn't recover from that till at least nine o'clock last night. I was sick to my stomach. I felt I felt depressed and sad. It was horrifying to even have to endure like sitting through that interview to expose it. So I took no pleasure in it whatsoever. But I think the thing that's, that's so burdensome to me is that we drop that. Here's actual photos. Here's actual video. This just happened. And no one really cares. Hmm. I'll be honest. No, no one really cares. I mean, I know the media, national media, liberal dominated, they want to hide stories like this. But to be completely honest, you know, we'll, we'll put a video up. I'll give you an example. We'll put a video up of us having a conflict with a Mormon outside of the Mormon temple. And uh, in a day, there could be 50,000 views. There could be, there could be a, you know, a half a million views in a couple of months sort of a thing. And I'm grateful to God for that because that's the gospel spreading and it's, it's as meaningful as anything else. But here we have actual footage, video footage, you can see with your own eyes of these babies who have been slaughtered. And it's, it's, it's just like, it's almost like it's just standard fare. Like, well, and I feel like, you know, if, if you would have shown Christians that kind of content in the 19th century, I, th I think people would be so horrified. There'd be people on the street sort of a thing. Yeah. But I think we've been so indoctrinated by our culture and so worked on by our culture that it's almost as though this stuff doesn't shock us enough anymore to actually do anything uh, meaningful. And I'm not calling for riots and revolts and sinful activity. I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm hoping that in, in pushing this before God's people, we actually get ourselves provoked into saying, what's the only answer to this? The only answer is the gospel. This is sin, it's depravity, it's evil, it's darkness. And the only thing that's gonna actually stop any of this is the light of the gospel. And so, what I'm hoping for is for Christians to be firmed up in their commitments to the gospel itself, the one thing that can transform the world, and to say no more compromise in the public square, no more compromise with the slaughter of these children, no more compromise, and, and no more uh, pretending neutrality when it comes to actually speaking against this evil in the public square. You know, it's, it's, it's no secret that um, I have spent a lot of time as a minister of the gospel speaking out against the inconsistencies of the pro-life establishment and the pro-life uh, industry in terms of refusing to make it about Christ, re refusing to stand on God's word, refusing to uh, apply God's word, appeal to God's word, refusing to call people to repentance, refusing it many times to even call it murder. Uh, you know, I've, I've, 
I've made that very, very clear. And, um, you know, that is a, a perfect indication of the problem is that the pro-life industry and establishment has thought and well, and not just thought this as said, as communicated, you know, the way to end this is to convince people <clears throat> of the biology you know, and by the way, that's an irrefutable argument. Yes, you can do that. You can show that, yes, it's human from conception. There's no way to controvert that fact now. It's incontrovertible. Um, and so they say, well, we'll just convince people that it's, that it's actually human from conception. And, and it's almost like, have you noticed that that's not the problem? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That, if I can just interject for a second. So, you know, yeah. like, hey, if we can get um, if we can show people that there's a heartbeat and there are statistics, you know, if, you know, those laws that pass, like if a woman has to see that it's a, you know, that they have to actually listen to the sonogram, listen to the heartbeat, then maybe there, there's more of a inhibition against the, the decision for her to murder her child and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I think it, it really goes, it goes to the word of God. All things do. Romans one. Uh, pe people think that, um, People think this. They think that um, that people are born ignorant, and because they're ignorant of the truth of God, um, they eventually do things that rebel against His moral law. Right. So people in their actions, they're outwardly rebelling against the law of God, um, but that's really the the effect, the cause is their ignorance. And what that does is it not so subtly um, indicts God. It says that God has failed in His provision to reveal Himself. That that natural revelation is insufficient. Uh, that that these attributes of God have not been clearly displayed. Whereas Romans one says precisely the opposite. Not only has God um, clearly displayed His divine attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature. Uh, um, but but also it says so that these things ha have been clearly perceived. So so God has not failed to relay the message, and uh, God ensured that the message was perceived. It was received. So everybody knows. So what the Bible teaches, all in Romans one and throughout all the you know the whole of Scripture, is not that people are ignorant of the truth and therefore they cannot help but rebel, but that that the problem is fundamentally not intellectual, but moral. So, so people are actually first and foremost rebellious. And because they're rebellious, um, they, they are trying to live in moral inconsistency and in, in, in rebellion against God. And so uh, they try to give themselves a self lobotomy by lying and suppressing the truth and deeds of unrighteousness. They try to make their knowledge match their hearts. They're trying to make their, their minds and what they know line up with their hearts and what they love because they love, men love darkness, right? John 3, Jesus is the light of the world. He came into the world, but men love the darkness like a bunch of cockroaches. The light turns on, they scurry into the darkest parts of the room. And so because people love morally in their hearts, they love their sin and hate God, right? It's not just indifferent or neutral, but Romans 8, the mind of the sinful man is hostile towards God at enmity. And so because people hate God morally in their hearts, they're trying to to align what they know, their knowledge and their minds with that by suppressing the truth and deeds of unrighteousness. And I say all that to say this, we thought that the problem could be solved um, at, at the mere level of knowledge and the mind, um, that if people just knew that this was a baby, like, like, like we actually, we kind of bought into this premise, right? That, yeah. that people thought it was a baby kangaroo until nine months and then it turned into a baby or maybe it was a, it was a, a fax machine inside of her womb, you know? And then at the moment of birth, it turned into like, that's the logic, which is just insane, right? right? I mean, we, we, nobody actually thought that, but we actually bought that premise 
um, that that lying premise. It is a deceitful pre- premise, not an ignorant premise, but a deceitful premise rooted in rebellion. So rebellion produces ignorance, not ignorance rebellion. We, and we have to get the order straight. And so the problem is f- fundamentally moral. It's not that people don't know there's a baby. It's that people do know it's a baby. And first, they hate the God of creation, and that baby bears his image. And second, uh, they love themselves and their convenience and their comfort and all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. And they view children as burdens <clears throat> rather than blessings. They deny God's word at, at every point, at every turn. And and we, we've we bought into this. And I want to just take a moment and say and confess, I, I have bought into this. And the Lord has profoundly used you specifically, your ministry, End Abortion Now, Apologia Studios, um, and, and these things to, to really change my heart. Um, because I thought, well, yeah, we, we want to get rid of abortion, you know, and but I, I would say things, you know, things that I had heard, I would repeat these things. Um, and there's a heavier judgment for me, by the way, I, I feel profoundly convicted, because I didn't just do this as a Christian, but I did it as a, as, as a pastor, which is serious. Um, but, but I would buy into some of these things, you know, that like, well, you know, abortion is never going to be abolished through uh, legislation. It's going to have to be heart transformation. And we all know that must be true because it rhymes, right? Legislation <laughs> and transformation. Um, yeah. but, but then you look at the statistics, 16,000 homicides in America each year, but close to a million abortions. So statistically, it seems as though the, the totally depraved heart of man tends to gravitate towards whichever form of murder might happen to be legal, right? I, I wasn't consistently working out my doctrine. Yes, we want to transform hearts uh, by the gospel. That's, that's the, um, you know, the ground war. That's, that's ultimately what's going to change a nation by changing individual hearts. But at the same time, yeah, we want God um, God-pleasing legislation. Uh, we, we want um, a, abortion to, to, be, um, to be abolished in terms of legislation. And, and, and one of the hang-ups with that is thinking, well, legislation and politics don't actually matter. Um, this truncation of this privatized lordship of Christ. Uh, Joe Boot's been super helpful for me on these things, understanding there's a, a distinction between the church and the kingdom, um, understanding that distinction. And then, and then in this, buying into this lie, well, people don't really know. And, and then buying into the lie, this is what I want to get to, that the women, the mothers don't really know. And so, and so every time you see some kind of pro-life piece of legislation that, that does actually make it, um, it, it's always covering for the mother. And, and we wouldn't ever dare, ever dare to, to have any kind of penalties uh, for the mother. And so we avoid saying that, that she's actually committing murder. And that's not to say that the father's off the hook. The father's responsible too. But um, how, how, can we, how can we say abortion is murder and, and say that the mother is not a murderer? And I know that's a very controversial thing to say, um, but the mother knows, and she knows because the law of God's been written on her heart. She knows because God has revealed himself in natural revelation, that, that, that all people are without an excuse. She, she's choosing to murder this child, and yes, let's get the, the abortion doctor, doctor, and yes, let's get that, that uh, passive father, um, but, but no legislation is really going to be pleasing to God and ultimately going to work if it doesn't also, if it doesn't include all the parties that are actually guilty and equal protection under the law. And you've helped me with those things. I'll stop talking now. You were going through, I think, the Bible. What, what do you want to say on that? No, praise God. And I think it's, it's, it's important because, you know, no, I, I think I, I can, I, hopefully that I can express this with, with clarity and, um, you know, nobody 
I'm not concerned in any way with getting people on my team, right? Like joining the club. There, there are people who love to do things like that. My hope is that the Christian church would come back to the truth, would stop compromising, would use the word of God. I, you know, I don't care if anybody calls themselves abolitionists. If, I'm, not, I'm not looking to start an organization where you, you know, you, you put, you know, the symbol on your forehead or something like that. It's, it's a matter of what does God's word tell us to do? And how ought we to fight against this? And, and, you know, you have a couple of options. And I think one option is to say, well, this is the law word of God. That's the standard. Now let's, let's apply that across the board and let's be consistent. Let's not compromise. I mean, it is interesting because as Christian ministers, we recognize the importance of God's truth, the clarity of God's truth. And at points when we're talking about moral issues, we will be unwilling to compromise. For example, the issue of homosexuality and gay mirage and those sorts of things. I think generally speaking with solid ministers of the gospel, I'm not talking about the apostates, but solid ministers of the gospel, it is no compromise. Absolutely not. We're not going to compromise on that issue. It's not marriage. It's man and wife. That's all there is. No compromise, no compromise, no compromise. I'll accept nothing less than what God's standard is here. We need to speak that way in the public square. This is the standard of God's revelation. And it's interesting. It's one of those areas where I think it's like we've been worked on by our culture. We've been taught too. the culture has done a better job of discipling Christians than Christians have done discipling Christians at many points. And um, when you think about even the issue that you're referring to, the issue of, you know, if we could just convince the mother that it's a baby, um, if we could just convince the world that biologically this is a human life from the moment of conception, you have to recognize that it was never the issue, biology. It was never a biological issue. It was always a moral issue. Right. It was always an issue of sin. And I, I said that before the legislature in Colorado, when I was testifying on behalf of the bill that we got into criminalize and abolish abortion there, I, I brought up that point sort of as a passing point. This is incontrovertible. It's human life from conception. There's no way to dispute that. I went through a few examples and I said, this isn't a biological question. It's a moral question. This is a moral question you're dealing with right now. It's ethical. And so, you know, just to your point in terms of the, the woman and what does she know, you know, I always try to keep this as simple as possible. Number one, yes, Pastor Joel, you're exactly right. The word of God is very clear. They know and they know what they're doing. Um, however, to the person who says, you know, she doesn't really understand what, what she's doing and what's inside her womb, I would say you haven't spent a lot of time outside of an abortion mill, have you? Mm. Um, because people who have uh, wouldn't say something like that. Because I can tell you that not only myself, but our team at Apologia and all the Christian churches across the country who go out regularly and save lives at the abortion mill, literally on a daily basis, uh, we know that's not the case. We have countless, countless stories of daily mothers and fathers going in and bragging about the fact that they're going to kill their child. Right. Uh, acknowledging, acknowledging, yes, I know it's my baby. I don't want it. You know, um, or they'll go in and say things. We'll say, well, adopt your child. We'll pay for everything. And they'll say, I couldn't give my baby up for adoption. And then they'll go in and they kill their child. But I think one of the greatest indications that they know exactly what they're doing is the fact that they are going into an abortion mill. Mm -hmm. For what reason? Why would, a, why would somebody go into an abortion mill to, to, to get a surgery? Uh, because they know that there is something growing inside of them right. that is their baby. I mean, the people that go in there, they're, they're not ignorant. You know, 18-year-old uh, women, 25-year-old women, 40-year-old women, they go in there, 
they know what they know what sex produces. They know what they're accomplishing. They know what they, what they're carrying. Their mothers, their fathers, they know it. Uh, the issue isn't biological; it is ethical. Right. Now, that's not to say, and this is what God's law would preserve, by the way, if we had it employed rightly. <clears throat> it's not to say that there aren't women who are pressured into abortion who are themselves victims. So, number one. A woman who goes into an abortion mill to kill her child, who pays an assassin to kill her child, is not a victim. We need to stop treating them as victims. Uh, God calls that an abomination. Uh, when you justify the wicked, when you acquit the guilty, uh, that's an abomination to God. It's sinful. It's wrong. So when the pro-life establishment says that, um, you know, she's a victim too, uh, they're perverting justice. They're sinning against God. That's an evil. It's protecting abortion. She is not a victim. She knows what she's doing. And so we need to stop saying uh, that the guilty are not really guilty because we somehow want to be super gracious. The way to be gracious is to call sin, sin, and to point them to the only hope that they have, and that's in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and peace is only possible for the guilty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and real quick, and with yeah. grace, or, you know, you could, you could, you know, substitute in any word there. You could say grace, or you could say, you know, with the fruit of the Spirit, you could say gentleness. I think it's always important for people to recognize that um, there are always more parties at play than one. Right, so there are certain things that Jesus says. It's like, well, I think Jesus is being harsh. Uh, well, well, maybe he is. And first, uh, we need to really carefully, biblically explore whether or not harshness is always uh, uh, correlated with sin, or whether there's a way to be righteously harsh. But, but the other thing is, um, if, if Jesus is being harsh towards one party, uh, perhaps it's be out of out of defense and gentleness exercised towards another party, that, that these people are oppressing, that these people are um, perpetrating, that, you know, um, you know, if you defend uh, your family, an intruder in the home who's trying to, to, to harm your wife and children and, and you subdue him and kill him, right? Because we don't live in, in never, never ever land with Peter Pan, you know, so you can't just, you know, like Wyatt Earp, maybe shoot the gun out of his hand, you know, but you actually, right. you might have to kill him, right? You might have to actually do something because we live in real life. And, um, that that well yeah that's kind of harsh to shoot a man in the chest and drop him dead, um, but you're doing that in gentleness towards your children because he is a threat, uh, he is a monster, and and so this idea of being gracious um, towards these women, uh, yes, we want to exercise grace towards sinners, of course, uh, but but I think we're putting the cart before the horse. You're you're bringing the 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 problem is that you're bringing grace into the picture towards the woman. Um, before she's even yet committed the sin, when when the grace at that moment, the the urgent need for grace, the particular grace required is, is grace for the child who's still alive and and a moment away from from being murdered. Um, are are we being gracious towards them? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the issue is, you know, when we talk about that point there in particular, when we call the mother a victim herself and we say that she is equally a victim like the baby, we're, we're forgetting the fact that abortion doctors are not running around neighborhoods looking for children to kill. Mm-hmm. Anyone ever think about that? The abortion doctors are not running around neighborhoods, driving around neighborhoods looking for children to kill. Abortion doctors have business locations and these women bring their babies to the assassin and they pay a fee for him to actually accomplish this evil atrocious deed and so you know it's the mothers who are bringing the babies to the abortionists uh, they're not allowed to run around and kill people in the streets and so you know they need a they need a health license to do what they do uh generally speaking um but 
you know, when we say the woman's a victim, we're once again robbing the entire conversation of the gospel. You know, if, if she's a victim, then there's no reason to call her to come to Christ for peace. You know, I, I know um, in my church uh, a whole lot of women that have had abortions, a number of them, multiple abortions. They're in Christ now. They've, they've been saved. They are forgiven. They are sisters in Christ. They are washed. They are cleansed. But, you know, they have peace today only because they've come to the cross where there is forgiveness and there is grace and it is finished. Uh, but I got to tell you, I, Pastor, I'm sure you've probably experienced, experienced this quite a bit as, as I have. As much as these women know they're forgiven in Christ, they know they're saved in Christ, I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit down with them in counseling sessions to reaffirm the forgiveness we have in Christ because they're still to this day grieving as believers over the murder of their own child. And you have to reaffirm the gospel and the promises of God and uh, the peace that God brings through Christ. But here's the point. Uh, that's, that's the scenario that we deal with as pastors with Christian women who have this in their pasts. Uh, what about the unbelieving women who as image bearers of God feel the weight and the guilt and the shame of what they've done to their child? Because they do. Um, when you as in the pro-life establishment and industry tell them you're not guilty, sweethearts, you're as, as much a victim as your baby. Now she has nowhere to go for peace because you're lying to her, first of all. Uh, but you're also telling her that she's not guilty. And if she's yeah. not guilty, she doesn't need Christ in that. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's very important for us to, to center this conversation back around the word of God. And it has to be a crisis centric uh, message. It has to be a gospel centered message. And what we have done in the last half a century is we have essentially given over the duties of the Christian church to organizations that explicitly deny the authority of Jesus Christ and the authority of God's word over the issue of abortion. Mm -hmm. And they do. They tell you uh, loud and proud. They think it's uh, I think they think it's virtuous to say, oh, no, we're not a Christian organization. We're not doing this because of the Bible. We're not doing this because of Jesus. We're doing this because biology. Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed that it doesn't matter to the abortionist? They know it's a baby. They right. admit readily it's a human being from conception. As a matter of fact, what's interesting here is the leaders in the pro, in the pro abortion industry, the doctors, the scientists, all of that stuff, they're on our side. They're on our side today mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah, that's a human being from conception. Mm -hmm. Right. But they say, we have the right. We still have the right. Uh, to have an abortion, a.k.a. Well, kill our child. Yep, and that's another important thing to add. And so, you know, according to Scripture, um, we know right from wrong. We, we, we know God's law is written on our heart, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And we know that a child in the womb um, is of uh, deserving of equal protection, equal dignity, uh, an image bearer of the living God. We know these things. And so there's a knowledge. And, and when I say we, I'm not just talking about Christians. Um, every single human being know, uh, made in the image of God knows these things. So there's knowledge of sin. Uh, but it's also important, I think, to add to the conversation that uh, when it comes to the unbeliever, um, it's not just that they know that they're a sinner. Um, it's not just that they know that such and such is a sin. Um, but in biblical terms, often they they love that sin. 
So it's not just that they know that this is a sin. Uh, the problem is they love that sin. Now, the reason I, I interject and said often um, is because it is possible for an unbeliever to commit one sin in order to protect another sin that they love, so some other idol where their affection lies. So it, it may be possible for a believer to sin in one way that they actually don't uh, love, uh, that they actually even regret, right? They won't have godly sorrow that brings about repentance. That won't happen apart from salvation, but they could still have regret. They could have worldly sorrow. And, you know, and so that there can be certain compromises that an unbeliever makes that they don't love, sins they commit that they don't love, um, that they actually experience regret over, but they're only committing that sin because, um, because it's an, a necessary requirement in order for them to protect or attain some other sin, some other idol that they do love. However, as it comes to abortion, I think it's one of those two things. It's not just that they have knowledge that this is sin. There's knowledge that this is sin, and, and they are doing it to protect some other sin that they love, regrettably, or in some cases, and it sounds like from the stories I've heard from you and other guys fighting this battle, in many cases, they don't just know it's sin, they love it. They, they, it's not just, I, I'm, I know that this is a baby, and yes, I'm going to kill my baby because I love myself, and I love my convenience, and I love my freedom. Um, but in some cases, you see like the women on the steps of the courthouse taking abortion pills, um, yep. and with smiles and, and jeering and bragging. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, we are happy and joyful and excited. We love we love the blood of children. And, that, and that's what we see, I think, in our world from, from cradle all the way to adulthood. We see um, our sinful world that has set its heart against God, its face against God and his law. Um, they hate children um, because children are integral. Um, ch children, <clears throat> all people bear the image of God. But, but, but a society that hates children, I think their hatred from of God is really being manifested. You see it in the womb with abortion, but then you also see it with trying to trans kids and grooming kids and all the things we see happening in schools and then with Disney. And then at every single level, we, we just see a, a culture that hates children because it hates And you're God. not, but Pastor Joel, you're not, and this is sad. This is a sad reality. You're not being hyperbolic here. You're not, you're not exaggerating to make a point. No, no. I'm you're not. telling the truth. That's, the culture that we live in, it's a culture that has betrayed its Christian foundations and the Christian, um, the blessings of the word of God. It's a culture that is, it is warring against its creator at every level. <clears throat> and that's the sad reality. There is, there is a distortion of gender. There's a distortion of marriage. There's a distortion of relationship between a mother and a father and their children. It's as though Satan knows exactly where to go in terms of how to destroy the foundations of something. Uh, you go after the foundation of creation, male, female, union, and children. Um, and that's exactly what it goes after. He goes after gender. He goes after marriage. He goes after children. So that's where the war is. And you're not being hyperbolic. That's exactly what's going on. And to your point, you said just a little bit ago where you'll have Christians say, well, the answer to this is the gospel. And I think what's important to, to note about that is <clears throat> exactly right. That's right. And let's do that. That's what we're suggesting as people who would identify as people who are focused in upon equal protection and an end of this, calling it murder, criminalizing it, calling it abolition, whatever the case may be. That's what we're saying. 
That's mm-hmm. exactly what we're saying is that it ha- this is a gospel issue. But we can't simply say this is a gospel issue. We're not going to be able to accomplish anything until we see transformed hearts and minds. But the point is, is if it's a gospel issue, it means you have to bring the gospel to bear in the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. It can't just be a general. That's all a gospel issue. Well, guess what? Everything's a gospel issue because that's the central problem of humanity is our estrangement from our creator. It's our sin. It's our rebellion. It's our broken, broken relationship with God. So whatever category of life and sin or whatever area of ministry God has you called in, whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's the homeless, whether it's poverty, uh, you know, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's abortion, whatever the case may be, if it's a gospel issue, then that means you have to bring the gospel to bear honestly on it, which means I think about the categories and all the truths within the gospel, the lordship of Christ, the issue of sin, the death of Christ, repentance and faith, forgiveness and salvation. And I drive it over to this area of abortion and we say, what's the issue? This is sin. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. God is a holy God. We're sinners. God hates this. This is called murder. God hates this injustice. God commands the church to, to, to uphold justice, to love our neighbor as you love ourselves. So we have to go with those truths into this, not the compromised Christless uh, approach that the pro-life establishment has done for half a century. Um, if it's a gospel issue, then let it be a gospel issue and preach the gospel with a full throat to it. Meaning, Amen. call it what it is, say it's murder, let her know that she's not a victim, that there's hope and peace only in Christ, but she must turn from that sin to Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we go to the magistrate, we're saying to the magistrate, you know, within the, within the truths of the gospel is the lordship of Christ, that he's the king, Lord of lords, that he's the ultimate, which means since it's gospel issue, I bring that gospel to the magistrate and I say, Christ is Lord. He is supreme. His law word is the truth. You must obey him. You will be held accountable uh, for what you do in this area of injustice towards these preborn children. So repent of this sin and establish justice by calling this what it is, murder, Mm -hmm. protect these children and do not have unequal weights and measures. That's what God would call you to because God hates this sin. And God also calls, and this is one of the key issues in terms of methodologically speaking, God calls unequal weights and measures over and over and over again in scripture. It's not just one place. It's, it's a, it's thematic unequal weights and measures is an abomination to God. It's an abomination. So here's what's important. I know you, Joel, you've heard me say this. When we consider methodology on this issue, we have to say, you know, we love as Christians calling certain sexual um, uh, perversions an abomination. We go, ah, 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 look, that passage in Leviticus uses the word toeva. That's the word abomination right there. No compromise on the issue of homosexuality. That's toeva. That's an abomination before God. That's as clear as day. Right. But it also says unequal weights and measures is an abomination. In other words, partiality. And in the issue of method, methodological um, um, approach, when you think about the issue of coming against this to establish justice in the area of the magistrate under God as his deacon, you have to say, does God hate partiality? Yes. Does he call it an abomination? Yes. So when you have 
compromised pro-life legislation that keeps abortion legal in the state even after Roe is overturned. Roe is irrelevant, ultimately. Uh, When you have compromised pro-life legislation that says you can kill the child who is under 15 weeks but not over, or you can kill the child if you can detect a heartbeat as though that's what makes you human or valuable, or you can kill the child, um, but not if it has Down syndrome, uh, those, that's partiality. It's also wholly inconsistent. And I got to say this, and you, Joel, I'm sure you've heard me say this before. I don't believe that we would see the same kind of compromise it, that we have in these regulatory bills in the area of, say, sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody hates sex trafficking, except, of course, those who are engaged in the abominable practice. But because sex trafficking and the issue of slavery, human enslavement and sex trafficking is seen as so deplorable by everybody, generally speaking, in our culture today, it's easy to simply say, you know what? You catch a pimp that's kidnapped a woman, raped her and, and tied her to a bed and, and, and uh, had other men pay to rape her, Give him the worst of the worst. Give him full justice and give everybody who was involved full justice. There's no compromise. Prisoners in jail. If they find out that the the guy's in jail for rape, that that guy, he'll be dead. Exactly. And my point is, is exactly that point because it's so culturally shamed, the area of sex trafficking. I think we could be so confident that the Christian church would largely just have firm convictions and say, hey, God's law says enslavement, kidnapping and enslavement is a capital punishment crime. Uh, he obviously hates that. Give him the worst of the worst. We're no compromise on that. We would have no we'd have no issue with partiality. Like, for example, imagine a world where there was sex trafficking and the Christian church is trying to work against it in that culture. Do we think it'd be appropriate for the Christian church to say We'll accept regulatory bills in the issue of sex trafficking, like you can sex traffic all the girls um, under, sorry, over 16, but not under. Or you can sex traffic girls, but not the ones with genetic abnormalities. We'd say, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? How could you, how could you compromise on something like that? Why don't, we just, why don't we just be gospel-centered and call it what it is, evil, and say, absolutely not. No compromise. No, you can't kill any Jews. Mm. No, you can't sex traffic any girls. Um, No, you can't kidnap and enslave any black man. Why can't we just say, this is the law word of God, no compromise. I want to say, I believe that the issue of compromise over this and being Christless and gospelless is what's got us this far. And I'm not, I'm not instructing anybody here. We all know this. Jesus said that the church is the light of the world. And I hate that that has become just a pithy thing for us. Um, because if it's true that we're the light of the world, then that means that we have to actually illuminate things around us. And the only way to do that is to let the light shine into the darkness. That's the only way to do it. If you cover it up in any way, you're stopping the light from penetrating the darkness. And right. so when we compromise, when we stop using scripture, when we stop telling the truth, we are covering up that illumination that is the central point of the church to be the light of the world. And so I think that's one of the most devastating things to us 
in this last generation. And I'm not coming at this. And I, I, I hate that I would even have to say this, but I, I think I should. I'm not coming at this as the know-it-all. I'm not coming at this as the veteran. I'm coming at this as the person who in the last decade of my life was challenged and convicted over the murder of children in my neighborhood, started working against it and started seeing, oh my goodness, that's an inconsistency. Mm. Oh my goodness, that's leading to more death. Oh my goodness, that's compromise. So I'm not coming at this as somebody who's done this my whole life and believed rightly my whole life. I'm coming at this as somebody who stepped into this world of death and child slaughter. And, I've, and I'm going, how does the gospel and the law word of God apply to all of this? Right. Well, it's pretty clear. There's no question about what God's word says about this. So this is what needs to be applied. And I have been shocked time and time and time again to see leaders in the pro-life movement warring against what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I, I can, we, we can have, Joel, another show here for several hours where I just <laughs> went through state by state by state. Where we went in, I could name names, I could give dates and times, I could give witnesses. Where we went into a state, we got a legislator to be challenged by the word of God. They put a bill of equal protection and abolition and criminalization in. And every single time, every single time, those bills were worked against by the pro-life establishment. I believe it. Well, They fought against it. What are they going to do for money if uh, abortion actually ends? (laughs) You know, I had a, I had a, I had a legislator. I won't say his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. But I had a very, 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 very well-known politician tell me behind closed doors in a secret meeting once with a bunch of other um, mayors and um, sheriff and some other people. Um, he said, "Jeff, we all know that they're not trying to end abortion." He said, "We all know that it's a business." They're, they're staying in business. They're not trying to end abortion. We all know that. Yeah. And he was talking about the pro-life establishment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's just stuff going on behind the scenes, brothers and sisters, that, you know, we could take, we could talk for days about exposing this stuff. But there's stuff going on behind the scenes. You just, you need to know it's dark. It's evil. Yeah. It's dark. And so let me just say some of your favorites, some of your favorites in terms of the pro-life establishment and leaders, some of your favorites are about as compromised as can be. Well, that's yeah. a great, I think, a great point to end on. Jeff, Good. thank you so much for coming on the show. We're Thanks for having me, Pastor you. Joel. I'm always blessed to be on here with you, brother. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.